But here's the covenant I make with myself. I almost have to read this to myself every morning, okay? I have to say, because of who Jesus is, I am a purposeful, tenacious, lovable, spirit-filled child of God. What's up, JR? Hey, Doug. Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to see you too, man. So, uh, yeah, what's been new and exciting in your life? <laughs> well, I, uh, I was, this, this happened this morning, and I'm like, it was so awesome. So I get up and swim about three days a week. Was at the Y. I get there about 6.30. I'm done swimming my laps, whip my goggles off, and I'm just about to hop out. And this this 80-something-year-old popped in the, the lane next to me. And he I looked over at him, he looked at me, and he just smiled, and he winked at me, <laughs> and he said... You want to race? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like so stunned. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's, let's do race. This. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm just like, as I'm swimming, I'm like, do I slow down? Do I? <laughs> so, so I beat him and he gets back. I give him a high five. And I was like, dude, I may have won the race, but you win the day. Man. And I was like, dude, this, this guy's my new hero. I was so stunned. I didn't get his name. I was like, I hope I bump into him again. But that's awesome. So, like, what did you do this morning? I, I raced and, 80 something year old man in the pool. Yeah. That he initiated, right? Like, he initiated. I mean, and he knew he'd gonna he was gonna lose. But I just love like I think the word when I got when I got in the shower getting ready, I was like, that was whimsical. Like huh. he just had this like whimsy to him yeah. about starting his day early. And uh I don't know, I just so appreciated that. Yeah. So it's he's my new hero. And it just made me think like how much joy. How many of these like little moments of joy, not the big things, but yeah. the little things, how can I enter into those moments of joy? Yeah. And um, so anyway, yeah. Did Man. you race any 80-year-olds uh, this morning I in the pool? I did not. Um, I did race an 11-year-old girl uh, out the door. Uh, <laughs> that was about all. We walked to school together today. But yeah, it. I feel like it's interesting, too, because- Your 11-year-old daughter, right? I my, just want to yeah, clarify, because yeah, that'd be super, daughter. super yeah. creepy. I was just looking for 11-year-old daughters to chase, <laughs> to, Hope to our race. listeners know yeah. you have two children. Yeah, I have two children, <laughs> a son who's 14, a daughter who's 11. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty fun, but I, I love that story too, because I feel like, um, a lot of folks that I meet who are, who are in that kind of aging demographic mm. tend to like lose the sight of joy or, mm. or like the pain can kind of, um, maybe push joy aside. Yeah. And I, I love how there are just these people that just embody that. Like, yeah. That's like, that's fun and hilarious. And yeah. like, it also begs the question, like what would have happened if he beat you? <laughs> well, I wouldn't have shared that with you. That's for sure. Yeah. This was the first time I beat him. <laughs> I probably would never swim again. Yeah. That's probably, no, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just thinking too, like as pastors, like, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mm. et cetera. But, I think we think of joy at Christmas and Advent yeah. and we teach on that and we see it as this really big capital J, capital O, capital Y, but yeah. what are the lowercase J-O-Ys yeah. that are available every day? So I, I just, as fun as it was, and I, you know, I shared it on social media, like at the same time, it it's really challenged me to think through like, what does joy look like? And I mean, I, I took a reflective day last week and one of the questions I asked, where am I experiencing joy in this season? Mm. And then where do I long to see joy mm. in this next season? And uh, which is good, but some of it, like we can't always schedule joy. And mm -hmm. so I think that's what really challenged me today. Like I didn't anticipate that, you know, I don't even know if he came in thinking that into the pool, but <laughs> a, I just- a so, shark and you're a minnow. <laughs> <laughs> but I just so appreciated the joy. And, uh, and 
So yeah, I, I think that's going to stay with me the next several days and weeks of where can I find those little like two minutes of joy? Yeah. You know, how can I even take risk? That was a risk on his part. How can I take mm. a risk to be vulnerable? Imagine if I said no, you know, mm. or if we didn't ask or, I mean, I, I would never think of, I mean, that's what you do as a kid, you know? Yeah. Would that, would that sound arrogant of me? Would that sound like, <laughs> who's this creep? You know, no, I'm not going to race you. Is he overly competitive? What's your problem? But I just, I just appreciate he didn't care. He yeah. just didn't care. And uh, so, yeah. What do you find are some joy blockers to you oh, in ministry? I, I feel like there are definitely some huge ones. Um, sometimes I think, well, hmm. I'd say the biggest one for me is when <clears throat> I put the task over the person. Mm, yeah. I feel like um, in just little things, if I'm meeting with someone one-on-one and just realize like, I just have to power through this and, and, mm. and whatever, um, I, I tend to miss the little pieces of, of joy. Mm. Um, I think too, uh, honestly, and part of why we're doing this podcast on for Monday mornings is because Mondays are joy blocking days because they can just be so tiring. I think too, like when I'm really tired and depleted, Mm. um, I think the best thing I can do is take a day off or take a vacation or just do something where I'm, I'm out and looking at it, um, looking at life from a different perspective. But yeah, sometimes my kids, I mean, that sounds terrible, but they can be joy blockers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like, You're the only one, Doug. I know. No other I know. Ever sorry. Feels that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like parents right now listening are like, <gasps> I can't believe he said that. Oh my gosh. But yeah. How about you? What are the things that block joy from you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm an Enneagram one, you know, so perfectionism. So I can get 25 things on a to-do list, mm. 24 are done. And I go, dang it. <laughs> You know, which is like ridiculous. You yeah, know? yeah. And so I think sometimes just trying to live into my own perfection. Right. Theologically, I know that's not possible. Uh, physically, realistically, I know it's not possible, but there's still that little thing in me that says, yeah, but try anyway. You know, so I think, you know, perfectionism or the myth of perfectionism, number one. Number two, comparison. Right. And so the comparison of either like, I, I will never live up to them insecurity or I'm better than them, arrogance. Both are joy stealers on both ends of the spectrum. So, I mean, those are, uh, yeah, those, those are two big things. And I think the other one thing is fear mm. and mostly fear of disappointing people. Yeah. You know, um, it isn't necessarily the fear of not getting that thing done. It's the fear of disappointing people when I haven't gotten that thing done. Well, and I'm really appreciative that we have an opportunity to even just think about joy because one of the things that is so important for pastors on Mondays is to find these little places of joy. Yeah. yeah good. What are and what are places where you feel like you see joy? Obviously in a swimming pool racing an 80-year-old man, which <laughs> out of context just sounds really crazy. <laughs> but like what are some other things that you are just taking joy in? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I love my canoe. So mm. as the weather's getting warmer, I just love being in my canoe. I don't I don't know what it is. We, you know, we go to Peace Valley Park, so I name my canoe Shalom, nice. you know, cuz I just feel like I get in it no matter how stressful or crazy or discouraged or defeated I feel, I get in it and I just go ah, I'm there, you know. Mm. So the other thing is baseball for me. Mm. Um that sounds so unspiritual. But um, people say, it's boring, it's slow. It is. That's, that's why. why. <laughs> that's that's actually why I enter into it, and it gives me joy to say, dude, slow down. And yep. it takes me until about the third inning of watching a game to just slow down enough to get almost in, in rhythm with 
the game itself, uh, which I so appreciate. So, um, yeah, th- those are two big things. Uh, again, sometimes with my kids, not always. Yeah. Sometimes with my sons. Yeah. That's much uh, better than what I said. <laughs> my kids sap joy for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I love watching sports or throwing a football with my sons. Yeah. Uh, I love reading, too. I mean, I find great joy in reading. So um, how about you? Yeah, um, for me... Everything that has to do with fly fishing. I've just recently discovered a shop in Lansdale uh, with a gentleman who is, yeah. uh, he's a retired mechanic who has uh, this wild love and passion for bamboo antique rods. Huh. And so um, I've been fly fishing ever since I was a kid, but uh, most of my Sabbath days, I will fi- you'll find me on a stream somewhere throwing feathers at some fish that will laugh at me or sometimes jump. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, that's been that. And I think to just exploring, uh, finding uh, places like I I love being in in new places and new spaces, whether it's even in even in my local town, um, Mm. just noticing some new shops are coming in and walking in and meeting the people who are running it. Those kinds of things just bring me a ton of joy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Reverend David Sharps currently serves as the lead pastor at College Church of the Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas. David has worn many hats in his years of ministry. To name a few, he has served as a district superintendent of the upstate New York district. He has been lead pastor at Crossroads Church in Phoenix, Arizona, Fairview Village Church in suburban Philadelphia, and Lima Community Church in Lima, Ohio where he also was the youth pastor during eight of his 15 years of ministry there. David loves Jesus and is given to tears often. He is a visionary. He loves his family. And when you spend time with him, his passion for Christ is evident along with his love for the church. He is married to his wife, Carol, for almost 35 years. Dave and Carol have two adult children and one grandson, Jonathan, who is married to Caitlin and their son, Campbell, and their daughter, Hannah. We hope you enjoy this interview with our friend, Dave Sharps. Dave, welcome. Really glad you could join us for the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. And um, yeah, just really grateful for the time that you are willing to spend with us. And so, um, yeah, tell us about a little bit about um, you and you've been through some pretty unique transitions over the years. And so tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, so I was raised in a parsonage preacher's kid. And, uh, so we had some movement in our lives, different times and some good things, some hard things. And I kind of watched even my dad kind of navigate that as well with a lot of grace and dignity. Um, mm-hmm. probably the kind of thing I've leaned into over my life mm-hmm. as well. Um, so when I finished seminary out here in Kansas city, um, <laughs> I'd grown up in Lima, Ohio. And my dad called me because one of the board members said, Hey, our youth pastor's moving. Do you want to move back to Ohio. And I'm like, no, dude, I shook the dirt off my feet and went, I'm not going back there. My dad goes, well, that's real good. Why don't you pray about it? And I'm like, dang it. So, anyway, so moved from seminary to my first uh, ministry assignment there uh, and was there 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so it was a youth pastor for seven years and then shifted in the made changed roles and then became the lead pastor there. And that was kind of back in the day of, uh, I'll say the old church growth movement. And uh, so we kind of lived into that. And truth is, if you're going to say you hit it, we hit it. So the church grew mm. 
my first church as a pastor was a thousand people and it went from a thousand wow. to two thousand in five years. And so that grew, but I would say in the midst of that, I kind of lost myself as far mm. as my spiritual journey mm. and uh, just felt like I'm, I'm an Enneagram three. So how are that, if you, that place yes. that just <laughs> helps you understand who I am. Right. So sure. I'm sitting on the front row one Sunday and the church is growing and doing great. And everybody's patting me on the back and the denomination wants me to do seminars. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to say. God's showing up and people are showing up and, and we're doing some stuff that's helpful, but they're also doing some stuff that's not real life giving. And I'm not sure mm. we're really discipling people in the kingdom of God. Mm. And mm. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I felt disconnected. And truth is I was probably burned out and probably should have gained some perspective. 2020 hindsight, if I had known the language, I probably would have either gone to counseling or mm. uh, found a spiritual director to help me mm. think through some of that stuff. Uh, I didn't do that. Uh, so just emailed one of my denominational leaders and said, Hey dude, I, I think I'm supposed to move. You know, that's the only thing I can figure out from what I'd seen mm -hmm. patterned in my life. And so moved to Philly and wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. Uh, really loved Fairview village the four years there. Um, <clears throat> I'll just keep going on this man. Cause then yeah. I found out after about four or five months, a uh, lady came into my office and sat down. It was an assistant with me at the church and kind of spilled the beans on my predecessor and kind of what had happened there and uh wasn't a good story mm. realized that uh there'd been some uh, just to be blunt infidelity you know there and uh, i found myself i was actually implicitly trusted in lima like mm. people just mm. i'd grown up there I, my, my dad had pastored there 23 years graduated high school there people knew me and even though i'd struggled with some things you know i was really trusted and uh, all of a sudden it was like the office of pastor wasn't trusted and, mm. and I didn't mm. do anything, you know, kind of thing, I wanted to say it, <laughs> you know, but, mm. but you know, you go from, uh, hmm, uh just navigating some stuff. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm. Um, and trying to think through what's it mean to uh, really lean into God? Mm. Uh, you can't really lean into, uh, the, the circumstance or the environment of the people around you. Um, but you know, it was a great staff um, over time. I think God really helped us to do some recovery work there. We actually brought in, I don't know if Doug remembers any of this part of it, but we brought in some uh, French church people to help us yeah. get with the congregation and talk about that. And, you know, how do we do peacemaking in the midst of really, because there were people that didn't want to come on campus again. There were people that called me and said, I'm throwing away 10 years of sermon notes from that guy and all that. And so I think the church had to decide, are we going to trust God even in this huge disappointment? Mm -hmm. And are we going to be a place of grace in this or not? Mm. And mm. that was a real hard conversation for a lot of people. Mm. They were just, they were mad, felt deceived, lied to and everything. But, um, you know, God gave us some good metrics during that time too. And that's kind of secondary to me in my mind, because I think that's when I kind of ran into um, some friends at the biblical seminary and that whole emerging conversation and the more uh, thoughtful way for the life of the church. And so I kind of mm. shifted in that moment. Uh, it not immediately, I wish it was true, but from kind of being this church growth guy to thinking more about it in terms of health and mm. what it meant for mm. a congregation to really be discipled and to follow Jesus and even in the midst of disappointment to move that direction. So, um, mm. anyway, there are four years, um, should I keep plugging away on the, yeah, man. Okay, um, well, I mean, you you didn't say much about the amazing youth pastor that was on staff with you at Fairview. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I his name was Doug or something. With Lindy Melcher and, <laughs> and, and Porter and Tracy Tucker. And then, you know, even, even the, 
Ed Dean coming on, you know, from being oh, a board yeah. secretary to a high capacity businessman to feeling like God had called him to ministry. And that wasn't easy for Ed or anybody really, but, um, God really, you know, used Ed in a lot of ways. It continues to do that. Um, yeah. so you could see really the hand of God in a bunch of stuff, you know, in the midst of the dark yeah. spot, you know, yeah. you, it's what all, when all you've got is his presence, uh, that's really what you need. That's sustaining. And, mm-hmm. um, so it was a great time. And actually of all the places I've lived, I can say this clearly geographically, that's a, that's the place I've enjoyed the most for sure. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. and even some relationships, I mean, yeah, yeah. it still exists to this day. Brian Accomini, I left yeah. Brian out when I was chatting along there and, mm. um, anyway, just a Joel, a Rayburn. I mean, I think about all these people just coming to mind. Yeah. It was a really yeah. good time and a great group of people. Yeah. Um, but it was really hard. I mean, it really, really was. And, um, Again, in this season, then I don't know if I have something, a rescuer in my head or whatever, too, but then the church in Phoenix called mm. and uh, they'd been without a pastor for two years and they were really struggling. And I thought, well, maybe God, my season here at Fairview has been to help this church believe they have a future and begin mm. to move forward. And um, so really never thought about living in the desert. And so mm. I did that. And uh, that was a good, that was a good ministry time, too. I think that church, we did a satellite up there and everything too. And so that was a good season. Um, yeah, I think in all of it, I was just evolving to more and more into what does it mean to really be pastoral? What does it mean to be present with people instead of, mm. you know, the whole, I had been shaped by the narrative of, you know, it all rises and falls on leadership, which meant all four holes on your shoulders. I think mm. God helped me learn in that moment, what it meant to be a team player when the ominous stuff was bigger than I could manage myself. Uh, God was there with me, but there's also people around you that, um, are part of that body to help you navigate that. And so that was a really mm-hmm. cool season. And, um, anyways, then going to Phoenix, uh, that had its own little challenges, but that was good. My daughter, I think really was connected there really deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really felt that that was God in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. we really did feel like that was the right thing for us. And I think if I look back now, it seems as if it's been a good thing for everybody. I've watched a lot of the staff, bloom in other areas. I see, you know, what Dave Peters is doing and Doug's doing. And, um, I think Wendy's landing good, better places now these days. And, mm-hmm. and I know Ed's done some incredible stuff, uh, since then too, in a lot of places. And so anyway, so in Phoenix for those years, and I really, uh, probably would say this next thing would be, um, a place that I probably moved for a wrong reason, but the denomination and its wisdom said I should be a district superintendent. <laughs> and, um, so probably if I'd have thought about that a longer time and prayed about it more, but you kind of wonder sometimes is the voice of the church, the voice of God or not. And mm. wow, mm. when you're trying to, if it was truly the church, maybe, but sometimes when it's the institution, it's hard to distinguish between what's the institution and what's the church, mm. the real body of Christ. And mm. uh, my confession would be, I probably confused those things a little bit um, mm. somewhat. So moved up state New York. Um, and was a superintendent and that uh, was a really hard season. This church at college church had called me two previous times. The first time when they called years ago, I was in uh, Philly and I actually had said, well, I'll come and interview. And I'm like, no, God's not in. I'm supposed to be here at Philadelphia, at least for this number of time, amount of years longer. And so I canceled that interview and stayed uh, there in Philadelphia. The second time they called when I was in Phoenix and I thought, no, there's just not the right season or right time. And, um, this time when they called, I looked at my family. Family was not doing great. I was traveling a lot. The upstate New York district is everything that's not Metro New York. So <laughs> Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Whoa. Albany, uh. all the Adirondacks, all the Southern tier. Wow. 
Wow. And over all that era, over, overseeing 45 churches. And I just realized in that moment, while I appreciate the organizational structure of the church, that I'm not wired for anything but the local church. Huh. And um, my ministry vision's always been what's in my five mile radius, what's in my five, the radius of the mission field God's put me in. And I just, I'd learned the hard way in the church growth era. You can't cut and paste a program and put it in your space and think all of a sudden that's necessarily God in that moment. Mm, mm. So I'd really discerned that and felt called back to the local church. Well, this is where I met Carol at Mid-America. Our first, <laughs> our first date was in the sanctuary of this church. No way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a good guy. His wife, uh, his first date with his now wife was his in a church service, right? So what a spiritual guy I am, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so um, my parents are here now. They mm. moved here. My sister, Joan, who's been a missionary for 28 years, moved from Singapore. She's in five rows back on the right-hand side every Sunday with her daughter, Anna, mm. who, you know, I never thought, you know, I would ever see uh, in church together. Um, so it's kind of an interesting spot God's got us in right now. Uh, this has not been easy. Oh my goodness. Talk about jumping in the deep end. This is a historic pulpit in our church. Uh, there have been one, two, three, four past guys that pastored this church became general superintendents, three of them out of this pulpit to be at wow. the highest level of the church in Nazarene. Mm. But, um, I say highest level, whatever that means, but, uh, that's not who this church is um, anymore. We're trying to define mm. ourselves by who we're supposed to be in this community, not by who we are within the institution of a church. Mm. And I told him, I'm not wired to be a, I'm not wired to be a district superintendent for sure. I'm not ever going to be a general superintendent. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I think if this church has any statement to make to the denomination, I think it's what, who are we in the um, geog geography where God's put us and how yeah. we're living that out and forget about hierarchy, forget about promotion, forget about other things that you've thought just be fully present with the community where God's put you and be the aroma of Christ and then join Jesus where he's already active and present in your community. Mm -hmm. um, so as a result of that, we're just really, <laughs> I mean, we've adopted title one schools around us. Um, wow. We uh, just put it, there's a now an outpost of the Salvation Army in our building. They have never <laughs> had an outpost of the Salvation. That's historic. They've never put an outpost outside of their own geography. They had to go through the Chicago office. To wow. Get Wow. Uh, the first uh, outpost, they call it, for the Salvation Army in a local church because wow. um, of our partnership with them. That's and fantastic. Outside, we've adopted uh, neighborhoods in Olathe. Uh, Johnson County's wealthy, but it's also, we're the county seat. So when there is need, they kind of migrate to, folks migrate to our area. And mm -hmm. we have a growing Hispanic population. There's a lot of places mm -hmm. to do in the country. And that's the fastest growing edge of our church now is the Hispanic uh, group mm -hmm. in our church. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Anyway, I went on and uh, homelessness is evolving here in strong ways. I just had a meeting yesterday with the Kaufman Foundation. Uh, Ewing Kaufman you know, owned the Royals and Marion Laboratories all those years. Now they're just now getting into church philanthropy. Wow. Uh, and I uh, met with them just yesterday, and they're probably going to help us fund uh, homelessness. One of the things we have here at College Church, we have 250,000 square feet of building. <laughs> 250,000 square feet of building. That's a lot of and, building. Yes. And so I'm like, what do we have on our hand? We have square footage. So what do we do with this? Do we try to fill it up with kids on Sunday, come and see? No, for truly, we're a going and being church in the community. we got to leverage this square footage for kingdom mm. purposes. Mm. And so we're hoping to eventually have uh, uh, things for homeless families, transition space in our building, hmm. if it is allowed to be zoned that way, uh, to provide that. Because we're finding 
the homelessness here is weird. Um, it's not as evident as it would be in the city of Kansas City. Right. It hides behind some really nice strip malls and it mm. hides in minivans behind Chuck E. Cheese overnight. Yeah. Uh, where yeah. parents, you know, taking their kids to school, but they're living out of their car uh, here in Johnson yeah. County. And so if we could help them find a way to not get out of the car and give them a chance, a leg up to transition out of that, we think that's part of the proclamation of the good news for us to make here as yeah. well. So, mm. yeah. Mm. So it's not been easy. They have an idea we want to do just more pastor, more altar calls, more revivals, more of these things. That's how you are the presence of the church and the kingdom of God here. And I'm like, I don't think that's what God's asked us to do. And so <laughs> yeah. we're kind of arm wrestling that a little bit, but they're gracious and God's helping us and giving me um, some capacity, I think, to open that move mm. forward. Well, Dave, what do you do? Because I mean, on paper, it looks like you're very successful, quote unquote, air quotes, right? Yeah. Very successful, right? You've pastored these churches. You've pastored a church of 2000. You've been a district superintendent. You're in a historic pulpit now. And yet you've also, I mean, you teared up a few minutes ago of mm. some real painful seasons uh, of your life. So there's this this balance in that. So, you know, after all these years of pastoring, high highs and low lows, mm. how are you still in it? What keeps you in the game? Why are you not a burned out statistic? Yes, God's grace, but what are some things you're cultivating in your own life of what is in your control of yeah. how you're still not only in it, but there, there's a joy to you. There's a softness of heart. There's not a cynicism that I often see in older pastors mm. who maybe are on the verge of burnout. Mm. Well, what does that look like for you? What do you cultivate in your life to stay healthy and why are you still, why are you still in it? Well, if I were to look over my shoulder, I, I mean, I... Number one, I just set aside any worry of what people think if I had to go to counseling. I mean, that's one mm -hmm. thing. And I did. Mm -hmm. I did yeah. in Phoenix. I did in New York. Uh, actually, I started with a spiritual director with an uh, Episcopal priest in um, in Reading, actually, is where it was. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. And just someone to, that, you know, it's the whole thing of listening. I mean, I'm I'm just, a, I, I confess, I, I, you know, my history is being kind of a driver, get things done kind of stuff. But to learn to find the space to listen to my own interior life, to listen mm -hmm. to the voice of God in that, and to sit with someone who uh, could help me hear that and mm. ask questions that really pressed into my spirit to say, you know, this isn't about what you're, you, it's not your, you're, you're not a doing, you're a being, right? So mm. who are you being in the presence of God? And I've got to move those, those spaces. And um, mm. I, you know, I went to the school of spiritual direction with Larry Crabb out in Colorado and, those things just reshaped my heart and my mind in terms of, of ministry. Mm. And to me, I look back and say, that's what's been sustainable. The community around me and people that could speak into my life and frankly, the spiritual disciplines. I don't, I don't minimize those at all. I go back and reread the celebration of discipline probably every year. Yeah. And realize how far I've migrated away sometimes from meditation, from silence, mm. um, uh, those spaces. It actually, resisting the resisting the temptation to make my bible reading a sermonizing moment right mm, yeah mm. read the text i'm like oh that'll preach and i'm like <laughs> so god's trying to speak to you dude and if you yeah. do that to the congregation later on that that's fine but um i also have written this covenant for myself and this would be a long conversation mm. and some of it comes a little bit out of doug uh, ask about some focus goals and i can touch on that a little bit in just a minute if you'd like but um you know we, we did this retreat uh with a, a spiritual director here um probably two years ago and out of that um I, I wrote a covenant to myself and part of that is this uh, i have a tendency to listen to the lie sometimes and so i ask myself okay what's the lie what's the truth and 
what choice will I make and who am I going to believe? Mm. Am I going to believe mm. the lie that the enemy is going to bring or someone else you know, speaks in toward my life? Or am I going to believe the truth that I am who God says I am? I'm a child of God and I'm a called mm. child of God. So there's the call. That's part of the sustainability part as well. Mm. That's definitely a place to return. But here's the covenant I make with myself. I almost have to read this to myself every morning. Okay. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say this. I have to mm. say, because of who Jesus is, I am mm. purposeful, tenacious, lovable, spirit-filled child of God. Mm. And all Can you say of, that again? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, because of who Jesus is, I am a competent, purposeful, tenacious, lovable, spirit-filled child of God. Mm. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And when I read, and it's not just words, it's speaking truth over the lie. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think the older you get, when you start thinking like, well, maybe I'm irrelevant or maybe uh, I've mm. had my day, my day's passed, you know, mm. and stuff. God says he's not done, you know, mm. and yeah. I, mm. I want to mm. believe him in that. Mm. There's some days it's like, no, maybe I ought to go sell cars or do something <laughs> without mm. about it. But then you say to yourself, no, because of who he is and who he's yeah. called me to be, I am this person. And I'm going to say over myself and believe, that that's who I am in God. And it's, it's the truth. I'm not going to believe the lie. I'm going to believe the truth. And uh, I'm going to make a choice today. Yeah. Mm. Mercy's new every morning because it's mercies mm. have to be new to me every morning. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. So I just believe I have to speak that over, over myself. And, you know, there's certain music, you know, um, I was listening this morning, you know, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And so that just mm. reinforces that, that co covenant narrative for me. And yeah. Um, and the, the, that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I mean, that's yeah. a huge one yeah. too, because there can be, yeah. man, we're living with so much incivility in the world. You know, I struggle sometimes being prophetic in my pulpit because there's so much people hear it with a political ear mm -hmm. these days and you can't even challenge some stuff. It seems like you can't <laughs> challenge some things because yeah. everyone's like, oh, you're a when I first moved here, they're like, oh, you're from back east. You're definitely liberal, you know, <laughs> we're Midwesterners. And I'm like, you know, what I found was kind of funny in a way. It's like, I am liberal out here. I wasn't liberal back east, but I'm not <laughs> liberal out here. <laughs> but it's, so, it's so crazy. But anyway, yeah. I, can, we could, I don't want to chase a political conversation, yeah. but, um, but that, that can be a challenge sometimes too. Um, mm. But God gives me opportunities uh uh, on one-on-one -on -one relationships, life on life mm -hmm. to kind of share people with, and God's open doors for sharing my heart as well from the pulpit too. And I think asking God to help me to learn what it means to walk humbly after him and mm -hmm. remain vulnerable and authentic in that mm -hmm. conversation. Um, and I'm, I got no posturing to do. I got nothing except what mm -hmm. he's provided for me. Mm -hmm. The idea of a covenant narrative, you know, one of the questions we ask pastors that we have on here regularly is what lies are you tempted to believe? Yeah. Especially when it's difficult. Yeah. Um, and and I love the covenant narrative idea because it's yeah. speaking in. I mean, it's it's almost as if you knew that was a common question we ask on this <laughs> podcast because there are so many lies as pastors, as humans, but as pastors that yes. we believe. We have our own shelf of lies we can go to and we pull off and regularly believe. Yeah, there's a dump truck and, of uh, shame out back. You yeah. Know? It's just oh. like waiting there for you. <laughs> yeah. A whole series on shame, dude. I mean, yeah. did, like last, last spring, we did a whole series on shame because the lie, then you believe the lie and you, then you, then if you hide in it, 
then you dig it deeper and, you know, mm. shame is your, shame speaks to your identity, you know, and everything yeah. tries to say that's who you are. It's like, no, I'm not believing that. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea of your covenant narrative, you know, when things are tough, what lies are you tempted to believe on the other end though, mm-hmm. when things seem to be going really well, mm-hmm. I'm curious, Dave, what are lies that you are tempted to believe? When oh, you feel like you're all that. <laughs> that one's actually, that may be, thanks be to God, a little easier for me than it used to be. Because huh. My problem over the years, and I'll, my Enneagram this probably speaks into this too, is I did believe my own press. I mean, mm-hmm. I did. When mm-hmm. church was succeeding, I began to believe my own press about that. And uh, but see, that creates a whole synergy of then, because then you've got to produce more, produce more, produce more. And when you begin to believe your own press, and you don't really hear the voice of God and take time for that. Oh my word. Mm. Arrogance rises up. Um, you know, posturing, inauthenticity. Mm. Mm. If, you can't, if, if you believe your own press, you got to continue to present that next week and next week and next week. You know, if, if someone compliments the sermon, it's got to be better the next week. Mm. And in Lima, that's where I, I started to live into that burnout, man. And it, it, it's unsustainable. Absolutely unsustainable. There's no way. I mean, God didn't wire us for that. He built us mm. for relationship with others and authenticity and that Trinitarian being we're designed to be and connect with God. And because that connect with other people. And when you're trying to produce, 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 you have to, when you don't, when you know, you're not being even sometimes as honest as you need to be, you try to stay above it and it's not sustainable. There's just no way Mm -hmm. in the world. So ever that begins to creep in and especially this pulpit, right? So people are still leaving this church because I'm not doing the revivalist gig kind of thing. I mean, This church historically, it's, it was as big as 2,800 years ago, uh, and now it's probably about 1,500 people. Not that it's a small church, but um, it's just an interesting uh, narrative. And so I even have, this is the worst place for a guy like me to come if you're worried about your position <laughs> or your appearance and stuff. And I even, I, Mid-America is right next door. So there's a Nazarene college on our campus, like right next door and everything. Mm. And people are like, well, we need to do this for the college or you need to do this for the college. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just be who God called us to be. And if the college wants to join us and the denomination wants to join us on this journey, that's cool. Otherwise, I'm not going to worry about that. I, mm, yeah. I got to keep my grandstand clear to everyone but Jesus in that. And I mm. have to mentally sometimes clear the grandstand. Look who's up there and who you're doing this for. Okay. You need to get out. You need to get out. You need to get out. This has got to be a Jesus only thing. Whoever wants to join me in that conversation, we can mm. live there. as life giving. Even just thinking from the perspective of, of young pastors who may be listening, um, what would be some advice in terms of like just how to care for your family um, and, and the toll that ministry takes on family? Yeah. Well, there are two things that come to mind, and I would I kind of rehearse back, live back into my story for a minute. For one thing would be, um, um, I started to say, don't move. And maybe that would be one way to say it, but there's an amount of stability, I think, sometimes. And I also believe, I saw it in Lima. Uh, in Lima, you know, I so kids came out of my youth group, and from the youth group, they um, then I dedicated, did their wedding, and then mm-hmm. I dedicated their kids. And then they were elected to the church board. And there was just something really mm. interestingly cool about that and mm. somehow right about it. It almost had like a cradle to grave thought or feel to it. Mm. I'm not saying that I sinned in moving necessarily. I don't mean that. Mm-hmm. But I do think sometimes my um, rhythm of my life, like somehow if you move on and go somewhere else, it's going to be all of a sudden better. And sometimes that may happen. Sometimes the context can be toxic, no doubt about it. I think more often I see a lot of my peers that just move because out of frustration or whatever too, like the grass is going to be greener over there. And it's like, 
dude, maybe let y'all like just sit in it and let God shape you. And as he's shaping mm. you, maybe shape the people around you. There's maybe something to that. Um, but one of the things that was really helpful to me came out of, this, uh, out of actually a class at Fuller Seminary with uh, Archibald Hart. Uh, he's a psych mm-hmm. guy out there. Mm, yeah. And uh, I wrote a thing called Focus Goals. Uh, mm. And literally, I wanted to, um, you know, when I was doing staff evaluations or whatever, rehires every year and stuff, we would, it wasn't just about their objectives, where they'd accomplish things or not. I wanted to feel like we had a balanced approach. And some of that was out of the brokenness. I mean, that I experienced uh, early on at Fairview. And then I also had a, a youth pastor that lost his, his ministry because uh, him acting out in some ways too. And um, I remember thinking, you know, God, as much as I can help for myself and for others around me that I have responsibility for, like not on my watch, you know, if we can do that again. Mm, yeah. Mm. That. So um, we did a thing called Focus Goals and F stands for family first. And so mm. we literally, I wanted the staff to say, these are the things that we're doing to care for my relationship. I'm dating my wife. I'm spending this kind of time with my kids. And just for sake of accountability, I wanted just to know what are you doing to care for? And I say family mm-hmm. first, I mean it. And that was not the culture of this church when I got here. Yeah. Staff's been like blown away. Like they'll text me and say, Hey, my kid's got a soccer game. I'm really sorry. I'm like, sorry, sorry for what? <laughs> the kid's got a game and you're sorry that yeah. you're not here. Well, I'm sorry if you're, if you're not there, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, they can't get their head around that exactly. And to take a dog day, a day away with God, you know, just where it's just you and God and yeah. you're required to do that once a month. Cause I want yeah. you to be nurturing your spirit. If it's just driving, 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 that's going to burn you out to a place that, that I experienced in my life. And that became really negative for me. So anyway, family first, and then the objectives in ministry are important. That's the letter O, objectives in ministry. So what things mm. are you doing? What are we doing together? And how can we do that together as a team? Mm. Letter C is communicating with others. So or connecting or communicating with others. You know, tell me about your connectivity outside of the office. If you're just sitting behind the desk all day long, that's not connecting with the community or communicating with others. Uh, mm. Who are your spiritual uh, journey partners in that? Tell me about that. Um, and just have a level of accountability to that. And everyone has a dyad partner in this on staff. So they meet with an individual mm. once a week. Mm. Uh, and then uh, once a quarter, they meet with their quote unquote supervisor in that. And then when I bring it to the, to the church board at the end of the year to say, you know, here's what's going on with our staff. I feel like I have a holistic understanding, not of who they mm. are, and what they've done, but who they are as their, as parents, as spouses, mm. as yeah, that's amazing. people in the community. And you is under the surface. So tell me who you're reading. Tell me what's nurturing your spiritual journey. Tell me about, are you journaling still? If not, I'm not saying you should, but tell me why that is. By the way, a really cool thought about journaling. I was at Tim Keller's church uh, last year. I was sitting in front of this guy, uh, young guy, you know, 26 years old, hitting the ball of the park in real estate. We're talking about journaling. And he said, yeah. And somebody said, well, I just journal on my keyboard. And this guy behind me goes, not me. He said, the only thing I handwrite is my journal. It's a unique space with me and God. It's only because I have to go slower. I have to be more thoughtful. Everything. He said, journaling is a real spiritual discipline for me. And it hit me. I thought that is really cool. So yeah. (laughs) right. So yeah. yeah, So like, you know, this is the journal that I've had writing this morning. Right. You know, so I got stacks of these things too. And it's good for me to go back and read them and reread them. And like, man, you're a real jerk back then about, (laughs) (laughs) or or really you circle back on that again. I thought God had given you some deliverance in that area. Well, again, what's Uh, maintained by prayer, right? So boom, one and done. I'm, it's like, I'm living this every step of the way. So it's good for me to go back and have some self-reflection in that. And who am I reading? Why is that important? It's very important. And then S is staying in shape. Yeah. Um, That was a tough one. 
especially with some of the female staff, they're like, what do you want me to tell them I'm going to lose 20 pounds or whatever? I'm like, <laughs> and you don't have to go into like great detail, do that with your dyad partner, you know, or whatever yeah. too. But mm. um, I think we're so integrated body, mind, soul, and spirit that I've seen in my own life and lives of others that sometimes people confuse a spiritual problem with the fact that their, their sugar is off balance or mm. I'm mm. like, I'm feeling this way. I'm sensing the spirit. I'm like, no, I think you just, bad pizza last night, you know, or whatever you yeah. know, kind of thing. So maybe if you're living in healthy ways physically, I think we're so integrated that way that I don't want to dissect or, you know, bifurcate that away from the other parts of our being. Mm, that's good. So yeah. I just want to encourage at least an attention to that, you know, yeah. and uh, so some accountability that way. So I wanted to build that in my own life. I showed my church board and my wife, my focus goals, my staff, and they share that with me and they share it with others in their peer group as well. So there's accountability in all those areas. That's great. So just to make sure I'm hearing this right. So family first, yep. objectives, yep. communicating or connecting yep. under the surface yes. and staying in shape. Correct. Both. So yeah, I mean, I, even as you talk about that, I'm thinking, wow, you've hit on the relational, the vocational, the mental, emotional, the spiritual, and the physical yeah. all within the acronym focus. You That's amazing. Can, kudos to uh, Arch Hart and to a pastor from yeah. Atlanta that I can't remember his name now that we sat and talked uh, about this for the two weeks in class at Fuller Seminary. And it's like, man, it makes so much sense. So I turned yeah, it into that's terrific thing and I've used it mm. in the life of the churches that God's allowed me to pastor. Yeah. I love it. Well, and yeah. I'm so grateful. I mean, Doug and I both are incredibly grateful you're willing to share that because for our listeners, I, I just hope they're yeah. listening and writing this down and going, gosh, we need to do this too. And we'll put this in the show notes and also in the resources. Yeah. But man, Dave, yeah. that's incredibly yeah, that's helpful. That's huge. Well, and even thinking, Dave, like I think, you know, some folks who listen are single pastors who don't have a staff. And so even thinking through that, like, what is the one thing that you would say has been really helpful? Um, like, I know the focus goal has been huge. I mean, I remember uh, filling this out for the first time, just feeling the sense of, holy smokes, this guy actually cares for something bigger than just what I'm getting done ministry wise. Mm. Uh, and it just felt like this beautiful freedom. But like, it, you know, staff can be really difficult and there can be a lot of like hard spaces and mm. hard things that happen. Like, you know, what are just some, I don't know, pieces for folks that that are, you know, listening in that have a staff that they're working with? Like, just like, what's the one piece of advice you'd say, hey, you know, this needs to be one of the most important things that you do with your staff? Yeah, you know, I think... I have a mantra with this, this staff here, especially since they're used to so much hierarchy, I spiritually flatten the org chart. I mean, I was to say that just mm -hmm. flatten the org chart spiritually. Mm. Everyone's better than anybody. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. that's gold. That's gold. Spiritually <laughs> flatten the org chart. Because, you know, so Jen Rosma, who's, you know, 32 years old, but God, this has this fabulous spirit about her. She'll, she feels free to text me and say, you know, hey Dave, I was thinking da 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 da, and and she calls me Dave. You know, if, if yeah, I'm thinking da da da, and just want to know what. And it's sometimes it's spiritually challenging stuff, but I mm. there's a safety in that for me. I don't feel like mm. she's like questioning me or calling me out, and I don't ever respond. Well, I'm the pastor. You know, I know at the end of the day, some stuff's got to come to this desk. I know I'm the guy. The, the buck's got to stop somewhere, so it has to stop here. And mm -hmm. there's. And I, I'm the joke for me here is when I got here, it's like the floor slanted and all the crap ran to this corner where I'm <laughs> everything in the church is like, really? The, so the color of the carpet that ran to my office and it all and it just it just, sucked, it just sucked royally. And um, so I've said that, you know, number one, you're called to ministry. You're gifted and called and you're called and gifted in ways I'm not. Now back in the old church growth days, 
I wouldn't be able to say that because it's like, oh, I, I'm the one that has to say, it, and if I say it, and the rest of you are hirelings, you do what I tell you to do to make my vision happen. We do collective vision work together. It's shaped by a team. Everyone's better than anybody. You've heard that language over and again, but we really try to walk that out. And every staff member has a covenant that I just said to you a minute ago too. They all have a covenant that says, because of who, because of who Jesus is, I am. And they've seen this list of, of adjectives and they've written out their own and we've shared our covenants together. Mm. We've gone away on retreat weekends and I mean, I'm talking brokenness and I'm given to tears anyway, but I mean, tears and confession to one another and authenticity and just being real and honest if we're struggling. And, um, I tell the staff here knows this, that, and the church board understands it too, that I can supersede anything in the personnel policy manual. If a staff member comes to me and says, man, I'm really struggling and you know, I don't want to have to spend my vacation time, but I really need time away. I'm like, you got it. Don't worry about it. Mm. You do what you need to mm. do. Find that space. Because if we're not living or leading from a place of health and authenticity mm. and spiritual connectivity, we got no shot you know, with the rest of the church and we got no shot of surviving and we're not going to be modeling anything, which is part of our, our calling, you know, to try mm -hmm. to, but model it in an authentic way, model the struggle, model all of that as well with the congregation and say, we're on this journey together. So I, I hope, and I would think, well, I, I'm not, this isn't paying myself a compliment, but it's an, it's really, it's, it's an, it was an affirmation to me. Uh, the seminary is doing a preaching sermon series thing and they invited me to be one of the preachers for this preaching conference and, but I said, so I wrote the lady back and I'm like, well, why, why'd you ask me, you know, kind of thing. And she said, because I get feedback from your staff here that there's so many spiritually formative practices. We want you to talk about in your preaching, how, how preaching actually is spiritually formative for you and your community, because we're, oh, we're kind yeah. of enamored by the stuff your staff is saying about what's going wow. on out there. And, um, so I'm like, okay, well, I could preach that sermon. Um, if you want to talk about that. <laughs> So it, it was an affirmation and it's not something I would have thought about as a goal or something like that, but something that kind of came back. So I, I feel like God's helping us to live into it. Mm -hmm. We still have a ways to go with our church board. I would love to pour focus goals into the church board, get them doing that together. Uh, this church is a very Sunday school oriented church. So I'm trying to get them to be more life on life. That's part of our mm -hmm. language, life on life connectivity as well. There, I think sometimes some, this sounds critical and I don't mean, and you don't have to take this out at all. Cause I know I say this too. Though. Sometimes I think, <laughs> sometimes I think you think information is transformation. It's not. Uh, if you think you, you learn more, that's going to change you. Information is only transformational. If it, if you're held accountable to how you're living that out. So they want more information. So big Sunday school class. So you go from a sitting in pews, facing forward, getting information from the front. Then you go to Sunday school class and your chairs are facing forward, getting more information from the front. You go to seminars and all this stuff and get all these degrees. And it's a well-educated community. That's good. But information is not transformational unless there's application mm. being made to mm. it. And that means accountability and life-on-life -life relationships. Mm. Mm. Me asking, you heard what that truth was, but what does that mean for you and how you're walking that out? I'm going to ask you next week. Yeah. Um, and that's not that's an easy good. rhythm, especially for some generations of people. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Dave, this is, I feel like we could probably spend the next seven days uh, unpacking just like three of your statements that you've made. Um, but in all seriousness, thank you so much for sharing your heart. Um, and I, you know, I, I just appreciate the fact that the, the word authentic really comes to mind. Um, think about the day when you came into the office and you told me that, that you accepted a call to another church. Mm. I never, I never told you this, but that was the day that I got a call from Dave Curtis from 
um, from Kansas, and he said, I-, I want you to be a church planner. I literally mm. hung up the phone with Dave Curtis, and then you walked in and said, I'm transitioning. Mm. And and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be hanging out with this guy right oh. here. And it's like, I'm just so grateful for the way that you've modeled and shaped. Mm. And like my son um, is, my son said the word crap, uh, leading our church in the Lord's Prayer mm. a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I And I walked out of church and I said, I could have seen Jonathan doing that same thing and I could, have, and I, I can just picture Dave just like letting his kid be a kid. And so my kids are being shep, like shaped and shepherded because of the way that I watched you mm. shape and shepherd your children. Mm. And it's just been like, mm. you've lived this out and I'm just grateful. And I feel like for the pastors that are listening and I'm going to give you one more, I'll put one more ball up on the tee for you to hit. Um, but if you, if every pastor listening could walk away knowing one thing about about who God is and who they are, what would that be? Hmm. I guess I would lean into the conversation as far as who they are and who God is. I mean, I I, I guess what hits me when you when first you say that it just kind of hits me that that we are the beloved, we're the called people of God. Hmm. If anyone tries to tell you otherwise, and they will, and they do. Mm. Uh, somehow you can find and hear um, what say, the safe people in your world say to you and uh, that speak with the voice of God over your life. We can somehow live into that imaging of who we are as uh, as the chosen, beloved people of God. Uh, I think somehow that would be sustainable for us. It's interesting. I can remember, um, you know, Dave talked about the focus goal and family first. Uh, yeah. And I'll never forget being a young youth pastor and just finishing up a retreat and being in the office on Monday. And Dave walked by and goes, what are you doing here? I said, oh, um, you wow. know, I got some work to do. He said, if you come back by Wednesday, you're fired. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, you should be home sleeping and resting and wow. just reflecting on what the Lord's doing in your soul. And I, I'll wow. ne- like, there was this beautiful permission. Like he wasn't just saying that, but there was this permission to say, you need to really take care of your family mm. first. And mm. I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for, yeah, just the way that, um, that he modeled that and the time that he took with his children. And, you know, I think sometimes the, you know, the old joke is like, Oh, you know, who's that crazy kid over there? Like, Oh, that's the pastor's kid. Mm. And I feel like there's been this, he, he helped change that narrative for me. Mm. And like, I was able to look at being a father in a very different perspective because I was able to see what it looks like to be a dad of a kid who grows up in kind of a different universe. And so, yeah. Well, you've spoken very highly of him and my goodness, like, even more highly uh, lauded now that we've heard that. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, you went through the focus goals. That's that's so great. I mean, yeah. that is an unbelievable resource that we'll make sure, again, is in the show notes. But um, when I look at that, I mean, I just, I as he was saying that, I thought, that sounds so healthy. Yeah. In fact, I'm wondering how many people are listening going, I wish I was on staff at his church. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I wish he was my lead pastor. Yeah. Um, because... We're not all privileged to have that kind of leadership at the top, that yeah. family is first, that yeah. our health is important, that, yeah. you know, even that we stay in shape physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So I love that. I also love just the way that he is so willing to show his tears. Mm. 
Um, I think as pastors, oftentimes we kind of fight back on that. And I just, I don't even know if, I mean, I know he's not drumming that up. Just that's authentically who he is. It just pours mm-hmm. out of him. And I just, I don't know. I just really appreciated his willingness to mm-hmm. to go there uh, in this conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about uh, this podcast particularly, but even the ones that we've had so far and the ones we will have is, you know, we may not have had that senior pastor. We may not have had that, you know, person or that, 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 that pastor to walk alongside us and to help us, but now we can change the narrative moving forward. And yeah. we can take some of these, you know, beautiful tools and things and just to begin to see things in a different way and to change that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the most important thing, well, focus goals to me stuck out. Number one, number two was the covenant narrative that he talked about. Unbelievable. I mean, just starting that out because of who Jesus is, I am dot, dot, dot. Mm. And I love that he used, I mean, just the effect he has to read it to himself quite literally every day. And just how important would that be if we were to develop our own, just to sit with that prayerfully to say, Lord, what kind of adjectives do you want to describe about me that I need to remind myself of the truth of every day? And uh, I, the two that that jumped out at me, two adjectives, he said, um, because of who Jesus is, I am. And he used competent mm. and tenacious. Yeah. I mean, those those are two awesome They're adjectives. really good adjectives. I love that. I, this is a practice I'm actually going to do. Me too. I need this. And so, and we always talk about questions and resources. We'll get to resources in the end. And I mean, Dave gave us some slam dunks here in terms of resources, so we don't have to offer too much on that. But uh, as far as questions, I mean, I think the questions that I think through are, we can just use the focus goals, right? Is family first? And if we asked our spouse, how would they answer that? If we asked our children, how would they answer (laughs) that? Right? Objectives. Yeah. What are we doing? What Mm. are we working on? And there's just a good thing to just be focused on what am I after? What's the mission? God's mission, but specifically, what is he entrusted for me to do? Communicating, connecting with others. Am I just leading behind a desk, as he said, or am I out connecting with others? And, uh, and then you talk about under the surface. Yeah. What are you reading? What's sparking you? Uh, what are you journaling? I mean, you know, I, I appreciate that he said you don't have to journal, you know, Jesus didn't journal, yeah. you know, but uh, that is a huge practice for me, and that is uh, so important. And and uh, and then staying in shape. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I go swim, I mean, it's like the fourth thing on the list of why I swim. You know, yeah. it mentally, spiritually, emotionally, then physically. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful that that's a value that he has. So those would be some questions. I don't know if you have any other questions to challenge our listeners with, or we just use the focus goals as that. But. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm still kind of in the space of just processing. I think too, maybe, maybe one of the questions is where, uh, some of the things he brought up the, the idea of, um, getting into counseling and, and being mm. in that space of, of, uh, burnout and kind of trying to understand God's voice. And I, I really appreciated the way he said, um, sometimes I, I tend to, to struggle with, is it the Lord's voice or the church's yeah, voice? Yeah. And I think too, like even wondering, yeah, know, that's good. Um, how how can we make sure? And I think part of that is having those safe people in our life that can help us to discern. Mm. And so maybe the question is, you know, who are two or three people that are safe people that will help you discern the Lord's voice from the church's voice? Oh, that's good. That's good. That's so important. That's so important. Again, he gave us the resources. Um, I can think of four. Um, focus goals, yep. number one. Number two, the covenant narrative, because of mm. who Jesus is, I am, dot, dot, dot. But he mentioned Archibald Hart, yes. and Arch Hart is a huge resource out at Fuller, Amazing. has a lot of good books out. So even if you Googled 
Arch Heart, yes. like the Archibald Heart. There's some great resources. Oh. I use that in my research writing the book Fail. Tons of stuff. I mean, he's seen as the church health right. go-to person. And so I just think anything by Archibald Hart, we need to pay attention to as yeah. pastors. I think he wrote the book Unmasking Male Depression. Yeah, I think that's right. That was like a life-changing book for me. Yeah. Seeing it and actually having words from a perspective that is uh, just fresh and unique was mm. so, mm. so life-giving. Yeah. And then the last one, he kind of mentioned in passing real briefly, but he talked about having, uh, get it, having dogs. Yeah. D-A-W-G. Dog day. <laughs> day yep. away with God. And mm. as soon as he said, I was like, I want to say, what up dog? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like what would it look like pastors and leaders who are listening? If sometime in the next 30 days, we just took one dog, we yeah. took one day away with God. Yeah. The next 30 days, yeah. just go do it. That's why that's one of the assignments when I'm teaching at seminary, mm. a requirement I have is that they spend four hours away with God, no music, no computer, no screen. I even say no Bible and journal. Not that, the, and they they push back on me on that. <laughs> yeah. It's not that that's bad, but even sometimes I can sermonize. Oh, totally. On my day away, yeah. And it's just to learn to listen and be still, yeah. and to slow down. And I say this is an easy A. Just mm. tell me you did it. Mm. Right, a half a page reflection. Just yeah. tell me you did it. And Time and time again, students come back and say, that was the hardest assignment, not of your class, of any class I've had. I believe had. it. I believe and, it. And uh, so anyway, just even though it's hard, just try a dog. Yeah. Day away with God. And I would say one last resource. He mentioned celebration and discipline. If yes, you have not read yes, that, that is, that is the primer on spiritual discipline. Yes, good. That, uh, Richard Foster wrote it. Uh, it. You can probably get it for 12 cents on Amazon. You'll pay more on the shipping than you will the book, um, but it is it is just a classic. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. What a great time with Dave. I'm so glad he's built into your life. Yes. So glad he shared his wisdom with us, and uh, we're just really grateful. Thanks for joining us again on this episode of The Monday Morning Pastor. Check out our show notes for the questions and the resources, as well as a way to contact us. We would love to hear from you. Pastors, may you be reminded that you have been given permission to be a person. You are loved not by what you do or by how well you do it. You are loved for who you are, and more importantly, to whom you belong.